Lined into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Gone! Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. And welcome inside episode 86 of Breaking Bats, presented by Not For Long Media. My name is Justin Ayers. I am joined, as always, by Kate Maniscalco. Uh, we're getting close to playoff time, and there's a lot of stuff happening in the world of baseball. We're going to be talking some New York Mets in a little bit with one of our favorite recurring guests. But Kate, it's great to see you. How are you? How was your weekend? It was very good. I'm I'm great. I'm feeling like a delusional Yankee fan right now because John Boy has my hopes up that maybe if, you know, the stars align and Jupiter circles around Mars, then they can make the playoffs by some miracle margin. But other than that, really good weekend in baseball. October baseball is right around the corner, so I'm feeling good. What about you? Uh, well, first of all, I'm feeling better because I don't have to run that marathon that I said if the Yankees true. make the playoffs. That's true. That's one of my all-time – I'm going to, I'm going to skate out easy on that one. That one's going to be, yeah. that's a piece of cake. Not even remotely worried about that. I will, <laughs> I'll run a marathon at some point in my life, just so I can get the bumper sticker to put on the back of my car and people yeah. can judge me for that. Um, it's either the 26.2 sticker or like the stick figure family. I'm still undecided, mm, which, two. I think, which would be, which would be funnier. I like to ironically have on the back of the car. I don't know. They're, those are classic ones. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you can go wrong with either. What do you think? What do you think Philip Rivers is back in the minivan stick figure family is like with all 11 of his kids, dogs, cats? I mean, I feel like if you have north of four kids, you can't put them on the back of your car. I feel like it's also just not a good idea in general to advertise the family. How many kids you have? Yeah, just, I you agree. know, for safety. Um, so, yeah. Oh, my weekend. Fantastic. Saturday night. Baltimore was rocking. I went to the Orioles and Rays game. The Orioles jumped out, beat up Tyler Glass now, uh, yeah. and they eventually uh, they split the series, which we'll talk about in a second. But great weekend in baseball. It's also a very conflicting weekend for ba- in baseball for me personally, um, which we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, but before we do, we have two new apparel sponsors to shout out. Uh, we have Fuel Hunt. It's one of my favorite brands out there. It's my favorite T-shirt I own is theirs. It's the softest thing ever. I wear it every time I work out. It's a great American company. They're Philly-based. They restore the dignity of hard work. But you definitely want to check them out, fuelhunt.com. The last apparel sponsor I want to give a shout-out to is Shore Boy Clothing Company. Just because fall is here, fall vibes, Shore Boy, it captures the essence of the Jersey Shore in the summertime all year round. Check them out, shoreboy.co, Shore Boy Clothing Company. Okay, a couple things, and then we'll talk a little Mets here with our guy, Will Salmon. Uh, The Orioles, it's a big deal. Big, big deal. I know it might not be a big deal for you because you're a Yankees fan and you're kind of used to yeah. being there, but like the Orioles literally haven't been. So they, they clinched a playoff spot for the first time since 2016 this past weekend. So uh, that's so long. And before that, like before their little run, the mid 2000s, it was like 20 years since the last time they made the playoffs. So um, first of all, I mean, you're as I think Orioles are probably your number two team, right? That's that's your number two. Oh, Yes, I said if the Yankees, when the Yankees don't make the playoffs, I said that the Orioles. I'm going O's all the way, all the way to the World Series. They are my team. And I respect that because normally the in-division rivalry runs deep and yes. um, 
you know, you might catch him flack for that take, but you know, it's nothing Maybe. you can't handle. Never, never. I, I, I only have an armor of steel. Yeah. Comments. Yeah. Like, oh, you like, oh, you like all of them, huh? You like everybody in the ALE. Is you a Red Sox fan too? Um, she is actually. She likes <laughs> yes. all of them. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, those least. are the worst types of people. They're like, I like all teams. Well, I mean, kind of. So I'm. It's not I've you. Learned- it's not you. You only have three to four. I have a lot of favorite teams, all right? And I wear that proudly, but like <laughs> it's hard for me personally because I have become a Tampa Bay Rays fan this year from all of our all of our friends because of yes. Pete, because of Josh Lowe, because of Josh Fleming. I liked him when he came on. Brian, 2020 Rays, shout out, 400 batting average. That's you know, look it up. Um so <laughs> there's been a lot of there's been a lot of Rays connections. We have a lot of Rays friends. And what I want all of, all of them to do well, every single one. And it, it, that, that, that's hard because this series, the Orioles played four with the Tampa Bay Rays Thursday through Sunday. And Tampa Tampa won the first two. And Pete, I think it was Thursday night, you know, struck out the side, bumping 100 miles an hour. I was like, let's go. And then I was like, wait, yeah. this, they're playing the Orioles. Let me, just, let me just dial that back in for a second. Let me just reel that back in. Yeah. 27 years of baseball fandom is, you know, kind of getting tossed around a little bit um so this series was hard for me personally because i wanted all of them to do well i was like hey i want the yeah. orioles to have fun tampa have fun but they both ended up clinching so technically in the end they both win and they split the series evenly down the middle two games Perfect. apiece the broader picture though the orioles and the standings wise the orioles are probably you know the first place thing is important for them so they kind of need that so I will be rooting yes. for that, but Sunday's game, Oriole Park, it was, it, it was a, the craziest sequence of events. I know some people might not have been watching because there was Sunday football, but you know, get a couple monitors going. They're down three to one in the eighth. Pete comes in, gives up a homer to Adley. Unfortunately, you know, then they, <laughs> they go to X. They go to. They tie it up with Adam Frazier. It was Adam Frazier versus Pete in the ninth. And I was like, it's the battle of the breaking bats podcast guests. Literally. So I'm just like, oh, God, this could not have, this could not have been worse for me. I, Cause like, I don't want either <laughs> of them to do poorly. And uh, Frazier rips a double down the line. And it's like what Delman Young did in the 2014 ALDS, which I was there. Shout out. It's the loudest I've ever heard a stadium. Um, and then the Royals went on to win it in extra innings. And did you see the, the beer celebrations? Oh, I, I saw a plethora of beer celebrations. So the G- our GM was in there. He was having a ton of fun. I got to say, that's what I kind of love about the Orioles organization. I also feel like it shows how passionate fans are and how passionate that this city is now because they haven't been to the postseason so much. Like, when do you see a GM <laughs> sitting there? Long in beers. The beer? <laughs> Kevin Brown was here, like chugging beers too. Like, see that anywhere so i thought that was so cool so electric i mean there were a ton of jokes that they had to play the astros today but you know they're all they're all kids they're all like 25 years old how hungover can they possibly be i think i think they're all doing fine i'm sure gunner is fine i'm sure adley is fine they're 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 having a good old time for themselves yeah the risk of hangover for the orioles was almost nothing because like they they're probably one of the youngest teams in baseball i saw a great tweet that i retweeted today it was somebody was like oh my god everybody's gonna be hung over and somebody re- quote tweeted and said nonsense aaron hicks kyle gibson adam frazier will be hung over the rest of the squad just needs two mcgriddles and their 
good as new. Dylan Atkinson on Twitter. Um, oh, it's so it's so true though. It's literally so true. It made me happy though. I saw you're right. GM Mike Elias got down on a knee and was bonging him. Kevin Brown, the broadcaster, had a lot of headlines yep. about him this year. Bonging beers with the boys. It was awesome. And then I I put this on our Instagram. I this what a wild like. For like normal people, the concept of this doesn't really make sense. But in, the, in like the context of a baseball locker room playoff clinching, it was Danielle Allen Tuck said the Orioles ran out of beer. So they are pushing Heston Kerstad in a cart, dumping condiments from the kitchen on him. <laughs> it's phenomenal. It was like, phenomenal. Like, it's just, you know what it is? It's, it's really great too. Like they were saying a lot of the vets wanted to make it special too for the younger guys. And I think... Uh, who was, I think it was Frazier Mullins, probably who else it was. And they like all looked at each other and they said like, we did it. Like we've, oh, we, we made it. That's, I know what you're talking about. So the, yes. the Orioles out starting outfield of Hayes Mullins and Santander, they Thank have been you, there yes. together as a unit during the whole rebuild. And yes. they kind of, they had that nice moment of, we did it. I thought, I thought this moment was really cool too. Michael Elias gave credit to the previous GM, Dan Duquette saying that like, the roster construction, like the guys that Dan brought in, like they couldn't have done it without Dan, which I thought was a nice little tip of the cap. You don't really see that. that. Nice. Yeah. I love that. I I think that's, I think that's great. Yeah. Almost like a passing of the baton too. Yeah. Which like is, the yeah, reason. He, he's exactly right. I mean, a lot of these guys are Dan's guys. Like I just said, the whole outfield's Dan's like Grayson yeah. Rodriguez was a Dan guy, DL Hall. So like there's a lot of guys that are Dan's guys. So I thought that was cool. Um, yeah, what what a wild weekend. I'm glad the Rays clinched too. I'm, I'm glad, glad the Rays yeah. clinched too. I I do believe, please correct me if I'm wrong, that th- the irony again of baseball, didn't they both clinch due to losses of other teams? Yeah. I believe it was like the Mariners and since the Mariners and the Rangers lost, the Orioles and the Rays clinched together, which is kind of funny because then they also split the series just the AL the AL wild card is just very interesting at the moment. So I thought I thought that was cool. Did Tampa have a lock? I don't think Tampa had a locker room celebration, and they weren't dumping condiments. I on didn't each other. see any. I did not see any Tampa celebrations, which I was surprised about. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they just weren't anticipating, or maybe they used all the beer for the Orioles side of the clubhouse. Maybe they didn't. They didn't buy enough beer for Tampa. They weren't expecting it. Yeah, I don't know what the, I don't know okay. what the secondary post-game or post-season clinching celebration would look like. Maybe they all just got together and just, like, drank, like, a beer each, maybe. Yeah, we could text Pete and say, what when you yeah. just... Pete, what, what did was, you guys do? What was the race celebration like? Yeah. I'm sure it was probably a somber attitude because, one, you <laughs> lost the game. So, you know, the, the, they probably weren't bonging beers. No, I, I highly doubt it. So. He's going to be like, I did nothing. I threw Legos at the ball. <laughs> it, like I said, hard series for Justin. Great outcome for the Orioles, lifelong Orioles fan. Yes. But as a newfound Tampa Bay Rays fan, it was tough. It's tough. It's going to be more tough for you in the postseason. I was texting Brian about this earlier, and he was like, they might just meet in the ALCS. I'm like, don't yeah. say that. A trip no. to the World Series on the line? I can't. My heart can't. I can't. You can't. We can't go back and forth. I can't do this. I want to wrap up the Orioles. I'm a little worried about this team in the playoffs. I'm just going to get that on the record right now for when they break my heart. It will not be a surprise because they, they could just 
have a cold stretch like it's nobody's business. They they have cold stretches against bad pitching. Some days the offense, like they were getting no hit pretty consistently. Like they'll like the first five innings of games, the Orioles would just get no hit randomly. Yeah. Um, so the offense will go cold. And then also the pitching staff, I'm kind of worried about. Um oh, absolutely. and we still don't have our closer. So not, not great. 93 no. wins though. 93 wins. 93 wins. I also I don't think the Rays are they have really I mean they they could, but I think to tie the AL East, the Rays would have to go nine and two. And then the Orioles, just to get to hundred wins, have to go seven and six. So I think I think everyone is fine. I think the yes. Orioles will stay on top of the ALEs, and then I I think the Rays will stay ahead of the wild card. Be Rays Rangers in the playoffs, then that would be the low the battle of the low brothers. Oh God, yeah. I don't know who got picking that one either. It's tough. It's tough. We're heating up. I'm excited. The whole American League is just it's just all of our podcast friends, and I want all yeah. of them to do well. I know we need more NL guys. We do. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Oh, well, I'll make a note of that. We'll make a conscious effort to give some love to the junior circuit, right? Yeah. National League's a junior circuit. Yeah. Um, AL's a senior circuit. Nobody calls it that anymore, but it's fine. No. Um, okay. We had a couple more things for you guys. Also, hey, great segue. AL, NL, comeback player of the year. Solace talked about, Leacher Report put out an article of just like top 10, just like players that have had better seasons. I don't know. It got me thinking about comeback player of the year. It's a sneaky award. I think the American League comeback player of the year race will be very interesting to see who who it comes down to. Because the NL, I think most of us agree it's going to be Cody Bellinger. Yeah, it's got to be him. It's yeah. At at this point, I mean, I guess you could say Tatis too, but I don't even think his numbers compare to Belly. Belly, yeah, Belly's in three. Belly's hitting insane. 311 this year. Last year, yeah. he had 210. Yeah. He added 100 points in a year. So I I think it's going to be Cody Bellinger. He's guy's going to get paid this all season, too. Um, AL, though, I'm just going to I'm going to throw out a couple names. Saw some of these on Reddit. People are throwing them out. So okay. I might be a little biased. Mike Trout. He's only played in 82 games. I mean, he's having a, a Mike Trout ish year. But I don't. I'm looking at the, I mean, I'm looking at the other ones because I guess the article didn't really include any AL guys. It had Luis Robert in it. Could be Mike Trout. Again, only 82 games. So I, he's not really having like a Mike Trout year. But I guess if you're, if you're comparing it to, we're doing stats compared to last year. Yeah. All right. I could, I could, I could get behind Mike Trout. I feel like you got to play more than half the year though. That's why I'm like. To get that award. Yeah, because like Royce Lewis of the Minnesota Twins, yeah, one of the most electric guys going right now. Guy hits a grand slam every game. It seems like yeah, he's so cool, awesome. He's he was hurt and like he's only played in like fifty something games this year, so he probably won't get the award. But that's why I'm thinking Luis Robert might be 139 games, 35 bombs. I mean, last year, I guess he, I don't know, might might be Luis Robert. But here are a couple of other names just to get your mind percolating yeah. a couple pitchers, actually three pitchers. You see Kikuchi. Okay. Yeah. He's what's he doing right now? Let's see. Nine and six with a three, eight, one ERA. 
but he's always had, he's always been a four or five ERA guy before yeah. this. So maybe that's shaved what they're off. Doing. 2022. Um, oh, actually, now that I'm looking at Kikuchi, 2022, 5.19 ERA. And he's at 3.81. So that's that's a huge jump. Win loss last year, six and seven. Now nine and six, kind of flip flop. Uh, let's see here. Whip. Yeah. So actually, one five in 2022, one two four. So I don't it's know. Not a, it's not a sexy pick. No, it's it's not it's not that intriguing. I like the I like the Luis Robert. I'm I'm curious that someone here put Verlander. Oh, I saw that on Reddit, and I was trying to figure out if that made any sense because is that like a joke? <laughs> well, his Astros tenure. I don't know. First of all, can you get the comeback player of the year if you're only in that league for like a month and a half? Yeah, like wh- why are we considering him AL for a bulk of the year? And also, he started off pretty shitty. To he start was, the season, but for lack was, of better words, he was hurt for like a month. Yeah, he's, he's still Had got a couple a, really bad starts. He's still got a three three nine three three nine ERA this year. Granted, the Astros one's a little higher than the Mets one. Um, I don't know. I think that would just be a that would be funny. Hey, that might make Kate Upton happy. Yeah, but I don't I don't know why people are saying he has a comeback here. Last year he had a one point seven five ERA. It was eighteen and four. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I just saw it. I, I don't know. It's shocking that somebody put, see, this is why people, you, we can't believe Reddit. We just put it in here to do some of our research. The Reddit users, they're, they're on another planet right now. The only other one is Kenta Maeda who had Tommy John, but like he has a four and a half year ray. So yeah, no, you can't trust the internet. No, is the main point that I want you guys to take away from this. I kind of like Kikuchi and I like Luis Robert. I think either one of those would be good. Yeah, I agree. And then we so, got Cody for NL. Yeah, and then that's and we just did the AL NL comeback player of the year. You're welcome, America. Um You're welcome. Last up, big news coming out on Monday. Will be official as of Tuesday. You're listening to this on Wednesday. So I'm just trying to do the internal math in my head. It's a little bit old. But Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa Bay Rays have come to an agreement where they're gonna build a new stadium. It's gonna be a fixed roof. Dome, artificial field turf, 30,000 seats. It's going to be near the current Tropicana field site. It's going to open for the 2028 season. This is big because there's always been rumors of the Rays, first of all, just leaving Tampa or like that area, like moving to like Nashville or whatever. So it's good that they're staying and it's big that they're going to put it in the Tropicana field site and not put it on the other side of the bay in Tampa. So there's a lot of people not happy about this. I'm curious what you think. Granted, we're not, you know, we're not residents of the Bay Area, but yeah, we understand the plight. I kind, I kind of like it. I think it's a great idea. I feel like it's going to attract more fans. Personally, I mean, it's not for what they say, 2028. So it's not for a few more years. To be honest, and I know people make jokes about this all the time. Like they, the Trop really doesn't get that many fans at, at their games anyway, right? I mean, the players joke about it. They say, they I got to make the pitch calm louder. Like, maybe this will attract some more people. Beautiful new dome. I I kind of like it. I think it's forward progressive thinking. What about you? I So I was, I was deep in the, the bowels of Reddit trying to figure out what the overall fan sentiment of the story was. A lot of people are saying that it's not the fact that, like, the trop sucks, because it does. But, like, in terms of things that are actually, like, make them not go to raise games, that's kind of down there. It's the fact that, 
most people live in Tampa and the drive from Tampa to St. Petersburg across the bridge is God awful at rush hour and they can't get across there in time for the Rays games. Um, And so that's why everybody's like, put it over in um, Ybor city or on that side of the bridge on the Tampa side to see them try to develop the area in St. Petersburg. I'm going to give it a chance. Again, this does come with a disclaimer that I do not live there. So if I did, I probably have a different point of view. Um, Yes. But I've been to St. Petersburg. I went there last fall. City's awesome. This city has got, it's up and coming. It's nice. It's clean. Like, yeah, let's try to make it work in St. Petersburg. You know, they're going to put a whole bunch of shops and restaurants and bars in that area. Cause right now it's just a big parking lot next to a freeway. Um, I'm going to give it a chance. I agree. I think, I I think, I think everyone should give it a chance. It's going to be so cool. It's going to be like, brand new everything hopefully they keep the pet the stingray tank though yes no i think they will they have to it's it's legendary like when Derek jeter got rid of the big statue at marlins park that after the you know the dolphins after the home runs or whatever that made a lot of people mad and so i think the only rational solution is keep what you know keep the fans happy keep the pet the race tank i think that's that's the key to to fan happiness i feel like 200 percent, completely agree it's but just again they didn't move they didn't because remember early last year they're like we got denied because we wanted to play half of our games in montreal because we're don't get to you know raise revenue or whatever didn't do that yeah no build it they will come oh my gosh please with the field of dreams reference (laughs) (laughs) they will the attendance will be better to be sick get i agree 2028 Pete and Josh will still be there. It'll be awesome. Yeah. I'm here for it. That's is that five years from now? Yeah, five years from now. So that's actually kind of far away. It's very far away. That's, that's such a long time. Okay. Well, I'm, now I'm getting bummed out because I wanted to go to the new stadium, but like I'll be in my early 30s when that happens. So Lame. not doing that. No. <laughs> I'll still be milking the 20s. Oh, I should not have said that. I'm just you know what? I'm I'm mentally 15. So you know what? There's that about that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. That was good. Our interview this week, friend of the podcast. He came on last winter with Brian and I, he came back this week to talk all about the eventful season that the New York Mets have had. It is Will Salmon beat writer for the athletic, the best in the biz, Will Salmon. All right, we are now joined by a very special guest. He is actually a two-time recurring guest, friend of the podcast. It is New York Mets writer for The Athletic, Will Salmon, back once again. Will, it's been a little bit. I think it's almost been a calendar year since you've been on this podcast, so I appreciate you taking the time tonight. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. I think it has been quite a long time. I think it was before spring training even started, so yeah, it had to be during the offseason. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Brian was here. I think we were talking like the winter meetings and like Kodai Senga, I think, was a thing, so... Um, lots changed, uh, and I can't wait to talk all about the New York Mets with you. Um, the, the thing I wanted to start with is it's a story that I didn't know a lot about before this year, but like, I've read so much about it this year. It's, it's the dynamic between Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander this year on the Mets. Um, again, like I didn't know that there was like this storyline of like, maybe they didn't get along so well. Um, I I heard all sorts of things kind of come out after the two, it kind of parted ways from the Mets. Like, you know, the word diva gets got thrown around a little bit. Can you kind of like tell me about like what this year was like for those two guys on the same team? And was like the friction reports accurate? Yeah, you know, I didn't really see that. I didn't really see that unfold all that much. 
Um, when I was in the clubhouse, you couldn't really tell if there was any. Um, that was a report by Mike Puma, I believe, of the New York Post that was one of the first people that uh, had to be with the first person to put that out there and, and, and within a story of sort of like what has gone wrong so far this year with the Mets. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if they were like the best of friends uh, because of like their shared history in Detroit. Um, but from like what I gathered, I don't foresee that as like a big issue for like why this team struggled because you know, if those guys were pitching better on the field, then it wouldn't have mattered if they were friends or not, really. I mean, we see that all the time in sports across all clubhouses, across all locker rooms where, like, guys are not necessarily always the best of friends or even friends in general, for that matter. And it doesn't really stop them from winning um, and doing their individual work. And these two guys are you know, future Hall of Fame pitchers. Um, they were not going to let that get in the way of their goal and I think if they were, if it was that big of an issue, Justin Verlander wouldn't have signed in New York to begin with. It's not as if they had, you know, signed one guy, traded for the other. I mean, this was a known thing that Max Scherzer was on this club. So I don't know. I, I think sometimes some stuff like that gets out there um, after a season unfolds the way it did. And I think sometimes uh, the way that I see it may not be the way that somebody else sees it, may not be the way another coach sees it. Um, and I think everybody has like their own experiences with it, but I don't know if it was like all that chilly between them. I, I had, I did see them interact a bit. Um, I think that even S and Y trained Mets would often pan to them in the dugout because that was a conversation point during games. It was just that relationship dating back and just the credentials that they brought to the field. And, um, we would see them. Um, I think also like there's just two guys who maybe see the game a little bit differently um, in terms of like pitches and like how to go about certain things. And maybe that was it. I'm just guessing there. Um, but yeah, I don't really foresee that. Um, there's a lot of reasons why the Mets season didn't go the way it should have. Uh, I don't know if that would be at the top of my list. That's so fascinating. All right, Kate, go ahead. Yeah. Kind of going off that because I think, I believe it was about a month ago, an article came out that, Pete Alonzo was toxic and that was also like an issue with the Mets clubhouse from your standpoint was that like a, a reason was that just completely false like when that rumor kind of came out I know one of the other reporters came out and also said that that was false and that was not happening in the clubhouse yeah I think it's like one of those things right where like stuff like that um gets thrown out there because everybody sort of searches for a reason for like why this went the way it did and I think in that particular instance um, I have a little bit less likely to believe that one just because that kind of stemmed from, um, I believe it was a radio host here in New York who was just kind of throwing that sort of out there. Like, oh, this is what I've kind of heard. or This is what I think kind of thing. Um, and with the other report, like at least that was a bit, somebody who was in the clubhouse a lot reported the story between Verlander and Max Scherzer. So I give, a, uh, you know, I, I give a lot of respect to that with a, Pete Alonzo thing, I, I never really see him being an issue at all. I think sometimes on television and like when you're watching him as a fan, he can come across a little bit different. Um, yes. that he does certain things, right? Like uh, memorably when he threw the ball into the stands for the guy who had the first hit, it was like, come on, Pete, like what are, like, yeah. but again, it's like one of those situations where you do see him like immediately after he realized what he was like, oh crap, you know, what did I just do? It's stuff like that that just kind of makes you go, like what's going on sometimes. But I think by all accounts, uh, he takes the game really seriously. He takes his work really seriously, uh, both as an individual and for the team goals. And I just don't see him being a guy that is a 
problem whatsoever in that clubhouse. I think he's the opposite. I think he's somebody that um, does his work and that people respect. Yeah. Is As a reporter, is that frustrating for you to hear those type of rumors? I remember also in the beginning of the year when the Tampa Bay Rays were on like that crazy run. Similarly, a radio show host said, oh, they, you know, they must be cheating. And remember Trisha Whitaker, the sideline reporter wrote this whole thing saying like, this is so frustrating. Like you have no idea, like you're not in the clubhouse with the guys, like you actually don't know what's going on. So to hear those type of rumors spread, is that frustrating? Because for you, you're there every single day, you know exactly what's going on. Um, It's not frustrating because um, it's something to dig into because like, you know, right. I, I try not to pretend that I know everything. Um, Like there may, there may be something to that. And so like, therefore you dig into it. And you raise your awareness a little bit because maybe like you have a blind spot to it. I mean, but we all right. have that, right? So yeah, no, it, it kind of forces you to dig into it. It doesn't like frustrate me. Um, I just don't see, I just, in that particular instance, I don't see that one that way. Um, but there's plenty of times where like something comes out that like, huh, you know, maybe, um, well, maybe I shouldn't say plenty of times, but there has been a couple of times where right. something comes out and it's like, oh, you know, I didn't really look at it that way, but I could see why that person says that or thinks that. Um, and again, I think that's a subjective thing as well. Like maybe they had a bad interaction with him or something like that. I, I never have in that case. I don't know too many people who have. Um, but yeah, I, I think sometimes um, people misinterpret it or sometimes um it's just worth digging into because it, it, it could be something there. Like there could be. So I just, I'm not really quick to dismiss it, but in that one, uh, I would very more forcefully be like, I don't think that that's the case here. Justin, go ahead. I wanted to stick with Pete Alonzo because there's also like, you know, talk about the rumors of, in that regard. There's also other rumors involving a trade that might've happened or may, or might've, uh, you know, been rumored to go with the Milwaukee Brewers earlier this year. Um, what have you heard about his trade availability, you know, earlier this year? And then like, what, what do you think the plans are for him long-term? Yeah. So my understanding was that the Mets would probably listen in on really anybody on their roster that was movable just because they were in a mode of, Hey, we got to like, at least listen to these types of situate these deals. And like, maybe there's a situation out there that just makes that much sense to us to do uh, with Alonzo. I don't know if it got like to the goal line. I know that Ken Rosenthal suggested that with uh, the company that I work for at the athletic. Um, so that wasn't my reporting. I could see that perhaps happening that way. Um, and I would believe anything that kind of Ken puts out there as, as a great reporter that he is. Um, but I don't know how many instances there were of that. Um, and the Brewers, it made sense to them because they're a team that um, they're not going to take on a huge salary player, but with Pete Alonso, um, he's somebody that's going to be entering his final year of arbitration. And although that figure is going to be pretty high, um, he's still under like club control there. He's not a free agent quite yet. So that's a huge deal. And if you're in the Mets shoes, that's the time of the year where, or that's the time of his career where like, if you were inclined to make that move, you make it now because you get the most value back as opposed to waiting till July when he has like what, two months left or so. Um, to be a player for that next team of his. Um, all that said, I just I just wouldn't trade Pete Alonso if it was me. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that you know what you're getting every season pretty much. Uh, granted, this year the numbers are a little bit down, but he's still putting together a season where he may finish with about 50 home runs again. And although it seems a little bit quietly, like that's that's the reality. Like he's on he's going he should be able to get to 50 home runs, which is pretty remarkable when you consider how bad his June was. Uh, all that said, like, this is a team that I, I think that they will probably 
be true to what they've suggested and that maybe they won't spend as much as they did in the past couple of years, but they're still going to be a fairly competitive player. I, I would say in free agency and in the market to, to field a pretty good team next year. And I just don't see how uh, a very good team does not include Pete Alonso right now. We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from the official sponsor of not for long media and the breaking bats podcast, the original fudge kitchen. It is a staple of the Jersey Shore with six locations in Cape May, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Ocean City. The Original Fudge Kitchen makes all of their fudge in-store guaranteed a delicious product, so stop by and let them know that Not For Long Media and Breaking Bats sent you. Check them out online at fudgekitchenswithans.com as they are shipping fudge and sweet treats all across the country. Now back to the episode. That actually segues well into what I was going to ask you next, was just like the plans of this team. We, we hear... Uh, Steve Cohen sent out a note to season ticket holders, said they're going to be formidable. That kind of runs contrary to what we heard earlier this year about them punting on next year. Um, is the truth somewhere in the middle? Like, are they going to be major players in free agency, or do you think they're kind of, you know, toil around in some of the reclamation projects? Yeah, probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, I just go back to the idea that there's nothing in Steve Cohen's small history so far as an owner that suggests that he's not going to spend money. He has been the biggest spender in baseball history. And so it would be quite a turn of events if he just decided, you know what, forget it. Like, let's just pack it in. And I just, that's just not going to happen with Steve Cohen. I mean, he's going to be smart. And I don't think he's in the business of running businesses that do not make money or that he continues to lose money from. Uh, but he also sees this, in my opinion, and from talking with people close to him as like a duty um, to make this a good, a good competitive team year in and year out. And I think that started with the trade deadline moves of like knowing when to fold in that situation and just being like, okay, this is going to hurt and it's not the best of looks optically, but this is what makes the most sense for the future. Um, so heading into this off season, I don't foresee them spending like guys who are like over 35 years old, that kind of thing. And looking for that short term expensive fix like that. But do I see them like spending and being in the market for somebody like a Yamamoto who is 25 coming from Japan? Yeah, absolutely. Because that makes a lot more sense. And it kind of goes into their thinking of, okay, be pretty good next year, but be really good in 25 and 26. So not trying to lure Otani to the East Coast. No, no, I I, I think so. Actually, I, I think like anybody who's like under 35 should be in play for them. That's kind of fits like that profile. Um, with Otani, I think Otani is like in his own separate tier, right? Like, it's like, how do you not go for him regardless of your situation? Like, you have to, you know, throw the ball and see if it, see if he if he wants to play, right? Like, it's just, that's the way it is with him. Um, I don't know if he goes there, but yeah, I think you at least have to try, especially if you're Steve Cohen. That man, that would be the best. All right, Kate, what do you got? So... The Mets are currently eight games out of a wild card spot, but with their schedule remaining, they got to play the Marlins and the Phillies. So they could be one of those teams that kind of upsets the entire NL wild card. I mean, if they go on like a really hot run, it could mess up all of the standings. Do you see that type of, you know, situation happening in the near future? Uh, I didn't uh, on August 1st. Uh, I <laughs> did not see that, but like these days, like they played pretty hard to their credit yeah. and under Buck Walter, like, they, they have cared and they've taken the responsibility of playing some solid baseball and particularly pitching well. I think they've gotten some really good performances from their starters. And some of those guys, they may give an extended look for next year, considering the amount of holes that they have in the rotation and bullpen again. So you have a group of guys who don't have much on the line anymore. And 
from a team perspective, but also as an individual, like you, you do have a lot riding on it for your own future. So that could be kind of a scary combination for the opposing team. So yeah, I, I could see them putting together a competitive run. I don't know if they'll like ruin anybody's chances of making the playoffs. They could, um, but yeah, uh, they're playing a lot better. It's, it's kind of funny because we, Justin and I were talking, but like we said before the season started and he had asked me, I remember distinctly about like, what could go wrong? Um, like, is there a path where like any, is there any path whatsoever where like this could go wrong? And I, and I remember distinctly saying like, yes, like there are several reasons why, um, but like those reasons now um, they're kind of not there anymore. And so like this is a team that's playing a lot more free um, after the trade deadline, rightfully so. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they're playing a lot better. They're, they're playing respectable ball. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very curious about this. So I came from the Yes Network and I was fortunate enough that when I was working graphics, like the Yankees were doing very well. From your perspective, do you find it more challenging when the team is struggling and like not really in a playoff situation or vice versa when, you know, October baseball is right around the corner and they're like definitely going to make a playoff berth? You mean from a writer's perspective? Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit harder because I've actually like never covered a losing team. I, I previously covered the Brewers. And before that, I covered SEC football and the teams that I covered were always like uh, New Year's Six Bowl teams, that kind of thing. So this is definitely foreign territory uh, for me. But like the thing is, is that you quickly realized at least that it was going in a different direction early on. I think it was like around May-ish even where you said to yourself like, man, this, there's something a little bit up here with this team and they, they may not be as good as we think they are. And so we always knew it was going to be a little bit interesting in that regard. And then clearly once the deadline started to roll uh, closer to us and they traded David Robertson and they signaled that they weren't just going to trade guys who were going to be free agents and that they were going to trade guys like Max Scherzer and then Justin Verlander, then it became like, okay, it's time to kind of focus on other things. So I think for me, it's been more about like, okay, like what are these performances like the ones that we were talking about a little bit a few minutes ago what do they mean for beyond this year because right now obviously august and september it's sort of irrelevant so like what do what do these performances what can we take from them um what can we glean as far as the roster construction goes or the farm system or what kind of moves that they can make in the off season so at least that part's been at least somewhat fun (laughs) awesome justin go ahead this is why you're the best in the business will it's been nine <laughs> months since we've had you on, and you distinctly remember something that I just completely forgot. So nothing gets past you, Will. This is why you're so good at your job. Well, well actually, it's a credit to you. It was a good question, so therefore I remembered oh. it. So <laughs> it's, it's more about you than anything I said. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, I just had two last quick things for you. I've been reading all of your work on The Athletic uh, about the new Mets president of baseball operations, David Stearns. Uh, did you cover him when did you, you guys were in Milwaukee at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah, I covered him for about two and a half seasons. Okay, so you you have a pretty good idea of, of how this guy operates. Um, this might be a, just like a dumb question, but like how how does a president of baseball operations and GM get like how is that power dynamic? Because I know Billy Epler's still there, and I I got to be honest, I've been watching baseball a long time. I'm not sure I could tell you what what the president and the GM do. That's like different. No, it's a good question. Uh, so Billy Epler actually took that job with the understanding that there would probably someday be a president of baseball operations. Thus, he is likely to stay in that role that he is in right now. So uh, the same dynamic, actually, the Brewers had that dynamic with David Stearns in Milwaukee because they had Matt Arnold in the GM chair. Uh, He got promoted during Stearns' run, and he basically acted like a GM anyway. 
um, earlier on. So the, David Stearns is not foreign to this idea. And a lot of teams are doing it now in baseball, or they have been for like the last five to eight years or so. Es essentially, like you have one guy who maps out his the entire vision of it, but it's in line with somebody who is also experienced, like say a Billy Epler uh, will use him in this situation. Epler brings about decades worth of experience, knows what he's doing, has an idea of uh, what it takes and like what moves to make. And he's comfortable handling conversations over the phone with agents, with other clubs for trades, that kind of thing. It's essentially just a second in command, but somebody that you trust with building out every single move that's in unison with the outline that you're mapping out for the entire organization, whatever values those may be, but it's basically number two. Okay. That, that's great. This, I think a lot of people, I, I hope a lot of people are like, yeah, I didn't know that. Um, all right. You, since you know him a little bit and you kind of know how he operates. I was reading all the stuff you've written about him and I saw like two major things kind of stood out with him. He's a really good, like evaluator of his own players for when it comes to like trades and stuff. And also just like finding diamonds in the rough. Um, can you just like speak more broadly about like what the Mets are getting in him and like what else like makes him so good at his job? Sure. Well, he graduated from Harvard. So there's that also. Right. So he's like, and I bring that up only because like, he will always kind of be the smartest guy in the room when he enters the room, but he's not the type of person that will like make that obvious or like in an arrogant way. And he's just a very personal guy. I found very easy to talk to, very fun to talk to about baseball in the sense that I, I always felt like I was learning something from him. Um, and he brings a resume, uh, with a lot of good stuff on it, but where it especially pops is like you mentioned, I think that with Milwaukee, he was dealing with a much, much tighter budget than he will be with Steve Cohen's Mets. And therefore like he had to think a little bit creatively about like who to play where, um, what buttons to press when it comes to helping a player develop and maybe hone a particular skill. So he was very good at that, particularly with the pitching side of things. Uh, Milwaukee had a pitching lab, which the Mets now have. And essentially what that does is they can call data that will, you know, make somebody slider like a little bit more effective. And that little bit more of effectiveness will propel them to just a better job overall. Sometimes uh, we saw that happen numerous times with Brewers pitchers. Um, he's really good at hiring uh, people in those roles as well. So when we talk about like, the idea of a president of baseball operations plus a GM. There's so many other people, of course, and so many other departments within the front office that you have to flush that out. He's really good at uh, hiring uh, sort of department heads, if you will, um, to kind of do that. And as just from a roster building and construction, like he really like uses a 40 man roster really well. And what I mean by that is he kind of thinks two, three moves ahead as far as bringing a guy up with a cascading effect of that could be uh, what other impacts it could have on, on different portions of the club. So he's, he's good in that sense, knows what he's doing. And like you mentioned, Justin, just a really good evaluator. And with the Brewers, he had a small margin of error for mistakes where he really couldn't do that a whole lot and, and be wrong. The Mets will have a little bit more freedom in that sense where like if something goes wrong, they could eat the money like we've seen before and it will be okay. Uh, it won't cost them the season or anything like that. Um, so I'm I'm really excited to see like how that transpires and how that uh, how that kind of carries over uh, because no matter what your budget is, you have to be good at making those kind of decisions, of course. Absolutely, I, yeah. I think I think Mets fans are, are loving that right now. Uh, my last question, uh, it's about Buck Showalter. I'm a Buck Showalter guy, Orioles fan. He's taking a lot of heat this year, but I wanted to kind of you know do, go the opposite direction with this one. What's your favorite? 
Bucks uh, story press conference moment from this year? <laughs> Man, it's uh, every day is kind of an adventure um, as far as the press conferences go with Buck. Um, in a good way. I mean that in a very good way. Um, man, uh, it's hard to pick out a favorite and it's not a cop-out answer by any means. Um, it's just that like they go so similarly, similarly every single time that like what I enjoy the most sometimes is that he will get a question, listen to it very intently and just go off on a t- So like you'll ask him about Ronnie Mauricio, for instance, and he'll somehow get to Deion Sanders within his answer. And like, you don't really know how he got there. You don't really remember how he got there. And then by the time he's done talking about Deion Sanders or whatever else is going on at Mississippi state or Florida football, whatever it is, he'll ask you, like, I don't, he'll like rephrase it and be like, Hey, I, I don't think I remember your question. And then, then he actually does give a pretty good answer, but that's kind of like my fun thing. Cause you never really know. Like, it's like you, put a quarter in the gumball machine and like, you just get something out of it. And like, you just don't really know exactly what that's going to be. Uh, but it's always pretty good. It's the best. Awesome. Yeah. This is a Buck Showalter podcast. Uh, well, you're our favorite guest. You're our favorite writer for the athletic. You're the man. Thank you so much for coming on, giving us a few minutes to talk about the Mets. Uh, Pete, follow, follow you on Twitter at Will Salmon, the athletic, anything else plug, plug worthy. No, you guys are too kind. Thanks again for the time. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, keep up the good work. You guys do a great job. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. So